It is so, so good to be here with you this morning. If you're joining us online, we're grateful for you. If you're part of the outside crew, the weather is awesome this morning, so I'm sure that's a blessing to you. And if you're in the house this morning, you know that we've got so much love for you. Uh, over the last few weeks, we've been in a series called Future Church. We've been in a series called Future Church, and part of the reason why we stepped into the conversation is maybe you have noticed over the last few months that there has been a lot of speculation about what the future of our world is going to look like in nearly every single sector of life. But I think that that has been true of the church. And so what we have been doing over the last few weeks has been trying to answer the question, what must be true about the church of the future if we're going to be faithful to the vision that God has given us. What must be true about the church? And the reason why we're asking that question is because we want to be intentional about who we become in the future. And so we're trying on the front end to answer that question. And maybe you have noticed that our strategy over the last few weeks, as we dream about what the future is going to look like, we've been going back to the past. We've been looking back to the early church to get a vision for what the future church needs to become. And so in week one, we realize that the church of the future is going to need a shift in perspective. Jesus, in the book of Acts, started casting vision for a brand new type of faith experience. And it wasn't about going to the temple to experience God, but it was about going, leaving from the temple and bringing God into the world through his people. And so we said it's not about going to church, it's about being the church. And then in week two, we talked about uh, how the future of the church is going to need to be an empowered church. Because the task that God has set before us is far too big for any one church to do on its own. It's too big for any of us to do on our own. It's too big for all of us to do together. But the beautiful part about what Jesus set before us is that it was never meant to be something that we were supposed to do alone. He promised that he would empower us through his Holy Spirit. And so we looked at that last week. Today, we're going to talk about why the future church must be a united church. Why the future church must be a united church. In 1963, Martin Luther King made a really powerful statement. He said, 11 a.m. on a Sunday morning is the most segregated hour in our week. And the point that he was making is that the local church, the body of Christ, is an ethnically segregated organization. And he was speaking in the context of racial tension that was happening during that time. But I actually think that his statement probably rings true for a broader sense of, of how we understand what the church is. Because over the last 2,000 years, the church has been a picture of a divided community. Now, I'm not trying to make a blanket statement because obviously the church has done so many good and powerful and wonderful things and has modeled unity during really difficult times. So I'm not saying that the church has only been divided, but when we look at the history of the church, in large part, it has been de defined by its division, by its disunity. And then we look at the last 20 months of what has happened in our culture, and I cannot say that this is true uh, ever, but I will say that in my lifetime and in my experience, this is the most divided I have ever experienced the church to be. The pandemic caused all of us to lose something. We lost our sense of normalcy. We lost family members and friends. We lost jobs. And, and in, in all sense of the word, it was a crisis in our culture. It was a crisis around the world. 
But what was unique about what was happening over the last 20 months is that oftentimes in our history, crises have actually brought us together. We look at World War I or World War II. We look at September 11th. If you look at the weeks and months following September 11th in our culture, what that did is actually brought unity to who we were as a culture. But that's not what happened in the pandemic. The pandemic actually divided us. And then we had racial tensions emerge. Then we had political divisions emerge. And there was so much disunity in our world, but not just the world. There was disunity in the church. And none of that was the way that God intended for it to be. That was never part of God's vision for his church to be a divided community where we were attacking one another in competition with one another, constantly at odds with one another. God's vision for his church, for this community that was empowered by the Holy Spirit, was that it would be united. And he knew that if, if our culture, this church culture, was a united culture, it would be very different from any other organization in the world. And what he believed and what we still believe as leaders in the church is that if we are going to make a difference, we have to be different. And so this morning, we're going to talk about why the church is better together. Why the church is better together. To do that, we're going to be looking in the New Testament this morning, which is the second half of our Bibles. And we're going to be looking in the book of Acts, which was written by a guy named Luke. He was a historian, and he details the origin story of the church. And over the last few weeks, we saw how Jesus cast this new vision for what church was supposed to be. He said, go and be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And then we see how he empowered these early church leaders uh, with the Holy Spirit to fulfill the mission that he set before them. And today, today is actually going to be the first time that we see how this new community of faith begins to interact with one another. So we'll be in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. If you have your phone, you can pull it up on the Bible app, or you can follow the sentences on the screen behind me. Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. It said, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over all of them, over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place, and they shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, and all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. This was a picture of a united church. I loved the description of all of it. It says that they were generous with one another. They spent time together. I had a friend who recently moved from San Jose to Austin, and so I was talking to him the other day, and I asked him, I said, how is it going? And he said, well, it's really interesting out here in Texas. He says, when someone says we should meet up, they actually mean it. So I don't know if that lands with any of you, but so he's been hanging out and spending a lot of time with people. But they worshiped together. That was this church. They were spending time together. They worshiped together. There were these miraculous events that were happening through this community. They were in each other's homes. They ate with one another. They sold possessions to give to those who were in need. And it said that this type of community, the way that they related to one another, produced this deep sense 
of joy among them. And it says this environment, in this environment, the Lord added to their gathering those who were being saved constantly. And it makes sense to me. Like when I read about a community like this, I'm like, I would love to be a part of like this healthy, life-giving, sacrificial community. Because you know why? I have been a part of toxic environments. Anyone ever been a part of a toxic culture? It is no fun to be a part of a toxic culture. It's no fun to have a toxic boss. It's life is draining, right, to show up to work when you feel like there's so much politics involved and it's directly impacting your life. It's draining to be in deep relationship with unhealthy people in toxic environments. And so when you read about a culture that is healthy, that is sacrificial, it sounds beautiful. And that was the picture of what the church was always meant to be. And we know that Jesus cared so much about how the church interacted with each other because look at what it says in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. Jesus was speaking to some of his key leaders and he was casting vision about how he wanted this culture to look, this community. He says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment, verse 34, to love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. He says, love each other the way that I have loved you. And what he was saying is that love, your, love each other in a sacrificial way. In a sense, he was saying, lay down your life for one another. Lay down your preferences for one another. Lay down your comfort for one another. Lay down your excess for one another. And so Jesus was calling them to this like high level of cultural interaction. And it wasn't for Jesus this transitional, transactional activity that he wanted to see. What Jesus was doing was building a culture of love in the church. Because this is what he knew. That when you love one another, it is going to be a way to prove to the culture that you are his disciples. He said it was going to be a sign that this community of people was actually from God. Now, this is what maybe we can consider together this morning. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have to know that people are watching your life. People are watching the way that you treat those around them. People are watching the way that you interact with others who don't view the world the same way that you do. They're watching to see how you respond to Facebook comments on a post that you made. The world is watching, and what they are watching for is whether or not what you say you believe is actually impacting your behavior, is actually impacting your life. And the problem with the last 20 months is that I think, my opinion, maybe not yours, that the church has been known more for what it stands against than what it stands for. And do you know why so many people don't come to church? Why so many people don't want anything to do with a community like this? It's not because of Jesus. People love and admire Jesus even if they don't agree with everything he says. They admire the life that he lived. People don't go to church because of people who call themselves Christians, which means little Christ, but they don't act very Christ-like. Gandhi said, I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. And Jesus knew 
that the way we treated one another was going to have an impact on how the world would receive the message. But the Apostle Paul had the same perspective. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, this is what it says. He says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. And Paul was speaking to like a really unique church. It was a church in Corinth. It was a port city, one of the largest cities in the Roman Empire. There were people from all over the world that lived in Corinth. And so he was telling them, urging with them. Other translations say, I urge you to live in harmony with one another. Do not let divisions come among you. Be united in thought and purpose. In other words, he's saying, don't get caught up in any unnecessary conflict. And what I love about what Paul was saying is that he wasn't, he wasn't equating unity with conformity. Paul didn't want to create a country club church where everybody talked the same and looked to the same, went to the same gym, drove the same cars, voted for the same person. That's not his heart. Paul wasn't saying don't be different. He was just saying don't let your differences divide you. Did you know that it's possible to live in harmony with people who think differently than you? I'm going to say this, all right? Take a deep breath. Be prepared, okay? It is possible to live in harmony with someone who voted differently than you. Okay? It is possible. And honestly, what I love about this church, what I love about li living in the Silicon Valley is its diversity. Did you know that every single Sunday, we have about 15 to 20 different nationalities represented in this community every single week? And that means that we have people from all over the world with different experiences, with different backgrounds, with different perspectives, and we all come together every single Sunday, not because of our difference, but because of what we have in common. This desire to understand more of what it means to have faith in an era like the era that we're living in, in a city like the one that we're living in, in a generation like the one that we're living in. And Paul wanted them to be a diverse church. He just didn't want them to be a divided church because he knew that a diverse church could reach all kinds of people, but a divided church could hurt all kinds of people. So the vision from the very beginning was that we would be this united community expressing in relationship love for one another. But what is reality? Okay, if history has taught us anything, it is that it is very hard to be diverse and united at the same time. It's not easy. Why is it not easy? Number one, we are all imperfect people, right? We make mistakes all the time. And sometimes our imperfection is an offense to the people that we say we love. We may not have meant to say what we said. We may not have meant to think what we thought or do what we did to someone. But oftentimes, when you are interacting with people, it is just a messy business, especially imperfect people, which is every single one of us, you and me. But the second thing is that we are all a group of people that are hurting in some way or another. None of us walked into this room this morning or any other Sunday without a few scars in our lives, and some of us with a few open wounds. 
every single one of us have walked into this place hurting in some area of our life. And when you have hurting people that have unresolved pain, oftentimes that leads to insecurity. And when your imperfection comes at me on a bad day, on a good day, I can't hardly see my insecurity. On a bad day, I cannot hide my insecurities. It just comes out of my mouth. I hate when that happens. But when your imperfection and my insecurity meet, that is a horrible recipe for a united church. Number three, it's not always easy to understand someone else's perspective, right? No matter how hard you try, if you have a different life experience from someone else, sometimes you just can't help but come to separate, different conclusions on the same issue. And oftentimes, many of the issues that we're trying to understand are so complex. The other thing is that it's just challenging to assume the best of other people. Because you know what most of us do? We all have the habit of judging others by their actions, and we judge ourselves by our intentions. And so it's hard. It's hard to have unity in the church. So where do we start? Two areas. Number one, we have to remember that we have a common enemy, and it is not each other. One of the best bits of marriage advice that anyone ever gave my wife and I They told us that we're not each other's enemy. What an idea. When you get into an argument, you're not their enemy. The problem is the enemy. You two are on the same team, and you work together to figure out the solution. But you're not each other's enemy. And the Bible tells us that we have a common enemy, the devil. And it says that the devil seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. Ephesians 6.12 says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. We're not fighting against each other, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. The way the devil destroys the church is by dividing the church. So when we recognize that we have a common enemy, it is easy to be united. My kids fight with each other all the time. But when they're on the playground and there's a kid picking on one of them, all of a sudden they come together and they're united. Okay, not all the time, but sometimes, right? When you have a common enemy, it unites you. It unites you. The second thing is when you have a common mission. When we have division, we forget that we have a common mission, but our common mission is what unites us. And that is represented in this church every single Sunday. Like I said, we all come from different parts of the country. We come from different backgrounds. We are not necessarily here because all of us would hang out in our free time with one another. Okay? But we are here because of a common desire, a common vision to understand what God has for us in this season of life. We have a common mission that helps to define the purpose of why we're here. And that is to go and make disciples, to help people understand what God has done for us and what he will do for them. And so we cannot forget that we are all on the same team fighting a bigger spiritual battle that none of us can accomplish on our own. And when we remember that we are on mission and we have a common enemy, that helps to unify the cause. And it's so beautiful that I'm excited because I think that what I'm realizing in the process of leading a church and and becoming more aware of the patterns of church in our culture and around the world, 
what I have come to the conclusion is that we are better together. That is why on a Sunday morning, you will never hear us talk bad about another church. I don't care if we disagree with them or if we do things differently. You will never hear us talk bad about another church in this church or any leaders in this church. Because we believe that we may be different, but we are better together. And I love that here in the next few weeks as a church, we're going to have an opportunity to live out and to test whether or not we really believe that it is better to, that we're better together, that we can be united even if we're different. Many of you were part of the church pre-pandemic, and if you were, you know that we were what you call a mobile church. We're a pop-up church. That means we set up and tear down every Sunday. And when we first started, we started in downtown Campbell. We were at uh, the banquet hall there. And then after that, we moved to Campbell Middle School. We were there for a few weeks. Then we went to Castlemont Elementary, and we were there for a few months. And then we moved to Blackford Elementary. I think we lasted there about a year. It was amazing, amazing. And then the pandemic hit, and it was crazy, right? We were all scrambling, trying to figure out what we were going to do, what church was going to look like. And so for the first few weeks, we were just filming in our living room. And then we found a parking lot that we didn't think anyone would kick us out of. We were wrong about that. So we did a few weeks there, and then we found a church that would let us meet in their warehouse, but after a few weeks, there was scheduling conflicts, and so we had to find another home. It was a complicated situation. And so we reached out to True Hope Community Church, which is the church that uh, inhabits this campus as their property, and we asked if we could use any portion of their facility for us to begin filming services. And they were so gracious to us. They had been gracious to us actually for a long time. We'd been storing our trailers on their campus, and they were kind. And so I reached out to the pastor. I said, John, you know, we, we don't really have a lot of opportunity. Is there any way you could let us film here till we fill, figure out a long-term solution? So he brought it to his church. And the church was so gracious to us. They opened up their facilities. They let us store all of our equipment here throughout the week, and they didn't charge us rent. They were so gracious, so gracious to us. And so we continued meeting here over the last 18 months or so, filming our services. And then we started talking with John. We said, John, you know, it looks like there's going to be a chance for us to open back up and have in-person services. And we asked him, would it be possible if we continued to meet here? And they opened up their main auditorium so that when we opened up church again, we could meet in the place that we're meeting right now. And they were so, so gracious to us. And over those 12 months, John and I's relationship really began to grow. We were uh, what you call acquaintances before, right? There was business interaction. We kept our trailers there, and that's about the extent of our relationship. But over the last few months, we got to share with him all that was happening in our church, and he was so excited for us and really inspired by some of the things that were happening uh, spiritually in our community. And he just became a cheerleader for this community and our relationship began to grow. And as we began to share back and forth what was happening in his church and our church, we started to get the sense that maybe there was an opportunity for us to do ministry together more regularly. And so we started dreaming and we thought and we just started asking the question, what would it look like if two churches came together under one vision? And so we weren't really sure what that looked like. We brought in a consultant to give us some wisdom because one of the things that we did not want this to be was to be a John and Daniel idea. We wanted it to be a God idea. And honestly, 
honestly, I, I, there, is, there is no way that either of us would move forward in this if we didn't sense that God was leading in the process. And so we've been praying for the last six months. We met every single week, and we just prayed. We said, God, give us wisdom about what the future is of our two churches and how we are working together currently. And about two weeks ago, after months and months of prayer, seeking wisdom and insight from leaders and our staff on our team and other leaders in our community, True Hope Community Church unanimously voted to make the decision to begin the process of bringing two churches under one vision. Two churches under one vision. So that's exciting. But that may be nerve-wracking to some of you, so I'm going to try to answer a few questions that maybe you're asking. What does that look like for Eden moving forward? So over the next few months, we're going to do our best to create opportunities for two churches to build relationships and work together to serve our city because what we believe at the core of what we're doing is that we will more effectively and faithfully reach our neighborhood if we work together. And so one of the ways that that is going to play out is we're going to begin supporting the service that True Hope has, which they host their service in the Fellowship Hall. Most of you probably have not been there, but it's on the opposite end of the courtyard from the bathrooms. And so we're going to be helping them, helping them think through some strategy, maybe providing some volunteers to help serve in their service, a few musicians, uh, maybe helping our tech team, develop their tech team. But over the next few months, this is going to be a chance for us to keep praying and to discerning whether or not God is wanting us to continue to take a few steps forward. So I would say the last six months, we have been dating True Hope. Two weeks ago, we got engaged to them, okay? But we haven't tied the knot, okay? We haven't tied the knot. And in and, and, and my perspective... It doesn't matter how we move forward, whether or not it becomes like this official vision of us coming under one vision, two churches, because ultimately, we are already under the same vision. We already serve the same senior pastor, and that is Jesus. So whether or not this becomes official, God is doing a work in this church, and together we're gonna keep working together to reach our city, to reach this neighborhood with the love and hope of Jesus. But if, we believe that we're heading in the right direction at some point over the next several months. Uh, our church and their church will decide if we want to become one church under one vision. And this, if that situation happens to emerge, we're going to maintain the name Eden Church. They will uh, come under that name. Pastor John would come on uh, staff as the teaching pastor of the service that we have at 11 o'clock. But that's all down the road. Okay, that's months and months down the road. But for right now, not a lot is gonna change. But what I did want for you to feel like is that this is a family. And every now and then on a Sunday morning, we may not have our typical service. We will have a family conversation so that uh, all of us understand where we're going in this church so that you can be a part of dreaming what this community could be like. This is not my vision, this is not any of our other leaders' vision, this, this is a community of faith where we get to work together to see God's mission and God's vision fulfilled in our city. Now, obviously, there are going to be a lot more details that come. We're going to continue to communicate those to you as often as we can. But my hope is that over the next few months, as our churches begin to work together and we get to meet people 
who have been a part of a different part of our community, that the thing that would label this whole next season of our, of our church is love. That we would recognize the differences and we would try to quench it. Because the differences are really what make the body of Christ so beautiful. It's so beautiful to see so many different faces and so many different hair colors and skin colors and eye colors and, and accents on a Sunday morning because we are united by the same spirit that has been uniting the church for the last 2,000 years. And we represent that today in our modern world. And my hope, though, is that we can represent the picture that we see in Acts chapter 242 of a church that sacrifices for one another, that loves one another, that gives up its own preferences for the benefit of other people in their community. Because if we can do that, I promise you that the days to come will be the best that we have ever seen in this community. We will see more people stepping into faith, more people stepping into leadership, more lives changed if we can bring ourselves to become people that are full of love and full of the Spirit. But it's not gonna be easy, right? Nothing that has ever been significantly accomplished in this world has ever been easy, and this transition will not be easy. And for all of us, it is going to be a step of faith. Over the next few months, we are going to detail specifically how every single one of us can play a part in what God is doing in this community, and it's going to require faith from all of us. But any time we have ever asked this church to have faith, it has done, God has done more than we could ask or imagine. And the fact that we are having this conversation today is a sign that God is continually being faithful to the vision of this church. And you all have been a part of that at every single season. And so I can't wait to see what these next few months look like. This morning I know that there are probably some of you that have no idea what I'm talking about. Church coming on, two churches coming under one vision. I appreciate you jumping into the conversation for a family talk. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't want to do something in your life this morning. That doesn't mean that God didn't want you, invite you into a conversation to be a part of a community that is exactly what you're looking for. Maybe there have been communities in your life. Maybe it's your home life. Maybe it's your marriage, maybe it's your work life, maybe it's the neighborhood you live in, but it feels toxic and stressful all the time. What I have been so thankful for about this community is that you all, outside of Jesus, you all are the best thing that we have to offer here. For so long, so many times when people come into this space, they say, man, I don't know what it is about Eden, but it just has good vibes, right? And I feel that, right? I love coming to Eden on a Sunday morning. And I hope that if you're new to the conversation, you'll make sure to come back. Because I know that if you stepped in this morning, God has more for you than just the conversation on Sunday morning. He has relationships that he wants to use in your life to transform the way that you think about the world around you. To transform the way that you think about yourself and the people that you love the most. And so this morning, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to step into faith for the first time to receive the gift of life and hope that comes in a relationship with Jesus, to step into a community that doesn't want to tear you down, that wants nothing from you, but wants everything for you. And that, if that's you this morning, I want to give you a chance. We're all going to bow our heads. 
and close our eyes. Go ahead, we can all bow our heads and close our eyes. And if this morning you wanna receive the gift of grace in your life, to be forgiven, you can pray this simple prayer after me and it's nothing special about these words, but it has everything to do whether or not these words reflect the condition and the desire of your heart. Dear God, I love you and I thank you for sending your son to give his life on my behalf so that I didn't have to go the rest of my life carrying the weight of regret and shame and guilt for decisions that I have made in the past. But God, you have created a way, an avenue of forgiveness and cleansing of my heart from the inside out to live a life that is free of shame, to live a life that is full of grace and forgiveness. And this morning, I wanna receive that gift of salvation on my life. I wanna invite you into my story because I know that without you, this life does not have purpose. This morning, I wanna trust that you love me enough to sacrifice your son so that I could be forgiven. And I want to ask you to give me the strength to follow you in the days to come. In Jesus' name, I believe. I want you to keep your eyes closed and your heads bowed. And this morning, I want to encourage those of you who prayed that prayer in your heart to just quickly raise your hand and let us know what God is doing in this place. I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you matter where you are, online or outside. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, it was reflective of what is happening inside of you. You have just stepped into the family of faith for the first time. And scripture promises that if you have done that, you've trusted Jesus, he will transform your heart from the inside out. God, I pray for every life in this room that some way or another stepped into this community and has become connected to you. God, I pray that you would fill us with faith. God, I pray that you would give us a desire for unity in our church, not just the church, but in our relationships with one another because God, you are looking down on us and we represent your community, your name to this world. Don't let us be divided. Give us wisdom. Give us emotional intelligence. Give us spiritual development. God, to see the areas where we are divided and to come together because we have a, mis a mission bigger than anything that would divide us. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you do me a favor this morning? And can we take just a moment to celebrate every person who stepped into faith for the very first time? We're so grateful for you.